it. The beauty of radio. Here we go. This isn't even radio. <laughs> There's a man falling on the stairs. Um, okay, so. Stefan. Hugh. You're listening to the Can't Sell This Podcast with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Here we are in a booth at Little AAA, having a beverage, most of us, and and enjoying ourselves, and, and, and taking the opportunity to speak to one of my favorite craftspeople, Scott Wilk. Thank you. Uh, Scott, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into this? I make watches, mechanical watches, yes. other types of watches upon request, and have been doing so for about 10 years. And under the, that, under the moniker of Wilk Watchworks. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I was just, I couldn't come up with a name. Well, I, and I, that I, think was it, that. I think it works just fine. And, and, and Stefan wasn't familiar with your work nope. uh, earlier, so I sent him the site and he's had a chance to take a look at the, the watches. Thank you for looking. I am obviously familiar. Mm. Um, Scott and I collaborated on a number of watches, of, I don't know, three years ago? Four years ago? About that, a number I think. of years ago, yeah. and I designed. I got. I got. I was totally privileged, but I got to design watches, which, if you're if you're like me, that's like super cool, right? Right. Um, and so Scott, you would make a great guest because of all the gotchas that are involved in, you know, being a craftsperson in a changing, you know, environment of consumer versus like I, I'm just going to buy something that's made. A bazillion times over versus I'm making something once. Yeah. So do you? Uh, <laughs> I was leading you into <laughs> being oh, part of this. Not very good at, at no, leading. No, it's okay. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what what I'm going to ask. So, so the question I have for you is, when you went from, because you were a gemologist originally, correct? Uh, jeweler first. A jeweler. Yeah. So I went to art school and learned about jewelry making. And then after I graduated, then I made jewelry for a while. Right. Did the gemology thing, and then got into watches by accident. And what was the what was the reason for you to say like you know what I'm not digging this I'm going to start making watches instead? It was just an accidental thing. I got a job hmm. at a place in the Eaton Center in the basement, and they were a watch store, but it, they did jewelry repair, so it was like a repair store. Oh. And so all I did was repair. Actually, I got hired as a salesperson originally. And so then they found out I made jewelry and I was fixing some jewelry and then they wanted me to change batteries, <laughs> you know, because I was the one working until nine o'clock at night. And you had steady and hands and you yeah, could open up a watch yeah. and it wouldn't freak out. And yeah. So they just showed me the basics and then I got hooked on it and they kept showing me more and more and I bugged them and bugged them and I learned a lot from them right. and then decided, oh, this is interesting. So I started tinkering, you know, had home and still making jewelry. Right. Yeah. And, and so was the transition to, so the transition to watches was a more gradual it, thing? It was definitely gradual. Yeah. Were hmm. you finding that the, the jewelry making, had that slowed down enough for you to go like, you know what, I'm going to move into it, this it never time. really got going oh okay like I did it for a number of years and I did trade shows craft shows and stuff around Toronto but it never was really enough to support me at all it basically paid for itself but right. then never was I never made money ever right 
So is that price point or is that is that um, market saturation? I yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people making jewelry, right? Oh, tons, tons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I um I had applied to one of a kind show, yeah, with my work at the time and didn't ever get in. And then as soon as I applied with the watches, first time, boom, I was in. Yeah, so. well, it seems to me that um, it's it's much much more niche mm. and unique, right? Like oh, like, absolutely. There's hardly anybody at that specific show that is making watches right you know, there's, there's tons of jewelry oh yeah their jewelry yeah. category is like chock-a-block yeah you know, exactly. it's just it's crazy well, like, what, I, so. what i found really interesting was you were telling me that uh you and other watchmakers get together on the regular to like look at each other's work right like not not like every month um, or anything but like you were saying you you meet up and you go up and you compare uh, your work well, together and, and and hang out right uh, maybe, maybe I or I didn't tell you the correct thing. Because <laughs> <No. laughs> there is like a watch collectors group well, here in Toronto. That's what I'm talking about. Called the Red Bar. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yes. Sorry. So that's a bunch of watch collectors. Because oh. um, there are hardly any watchmakers in Toronto that I know personally. And oh really? Yeah. 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 Oh. I know a couple, um, but they don't make their own brand of watch. They just work yeah, at yeah. stores or repair centers or that kind of thing. So, and so in the past, so you've been doing this for six, seven, six years. Uh, this is my tenth Shut year up. anniversary. Wow. Oh my god! Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, but it's hard to tell when that ten years is because of the gradual yes. right, like right. change to watches from jewelry making. Yeah. So, so, in that ten years, have you seen other people sort of get into it? And because I remember, so the one thing that that really I found interesting was how you, uh, one of our earliest conversations about watches was, it's a really insular society. Like people that make watches don't share with other people that make watches. Mm -hmm. So did you find that, have you become kind of the guy with the knowledge? Have you become the guy that that knows and people reach out and go like, I want to talk to you about making watches uh, I still feel like I don't know anything about it like nothing it's such a huge field and there's so much to learn it's just uh, every day I feel like I'm a noob still <laughs> well you're but, working with like someone who is teaching you the actual intricacies mm-hmm. of, of building yep, right yep and I have learned a lot over a long period of time and so I get together with a watchmaker every once in a while and he does show me things and I have lots of questions of course because um, it's hard reading some of the, the watchmaking books. It's just, you know, your knowledge is either, you know, it has to be at a certain level. Yeah. You know, otherwise, forget it. You know, it's impossible. Um, and it's tough learning that kind of thing from a book, I find. So it's, uh, I don't know, learning more all the time. But and, from, you- and from breaking shit. <laughs> you make watches fast and break shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things, Stefan, that, that I found most interesting about um, designing a watch was was trying to design a watch that hadn't been designed before, you know? Right. Like, okay, well, it has hands, and it has the dial, and it, and you're like, what do I, do I just put numbers on it? You know, like, that was, that was the hardest part. I mean, I was doing, I was doing a niche thing, right? Like, I was doing haiku stuff, so mm-hmm. it was a little bit different, but there still is the how do you make a dial look unique how do you how do you take something that is is uh, centuries old and still have a fresh take on it yeah 
how how have you um, how have you grasped that in particular? Uh, it it has been difficult. You know, I always want to make different things, different styles, and something that's not out there already. And the watch industry is the absolute opposite of that. You know, people, it's like plagiarism central. Right. <laughs> you know, I, uh, coming from an art background, you know, you're always cognizant of that. You know, all that plagiaristic sort of like, you can't copy anything or anybody and, you know, they'll call you out or whatever, but it doesn't seem like that's the case in the watch industry. You know, there's, they call it homage. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's homage. So... You know, there's a lot of watches that a lot of companies make that look identical, practically. You know, but I wanted to make some different things, so I just sort of used the movement or the mechanical part as a kind of a starting point. Yeah. And then went from there and kind of took things from other brands or anything, really. It doesn't really matter. I'm just looking around. Oh, I like that line. I like how these two things interact together oh I can use that in a design yeah yeah like as a starting point or as a focal point or anything like that I mean there was a there was a I would I can think about the times we've gone out um, where you discuss things that felt like a real springboard moment in your career Mm. Uh, you got written up uh, in a a magazine that it, it just became like a thing where it's like oh my god I got written up in this magazine and it, it sort of helped drive a bit of business right oh sure yeah the press you know whenever I get you know a substantial kind of like kind of press thing happen then yeah, it's fantastic yeah but it, it's few and far I think it's know. one of the interesting things about being a, a creator is I mean it was a conversation we had with uh, Jillian yeah where she had had the story in CBC, mm-hmm. right? And 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 she was like, like all of a sudden I couldn't keep leather on the on the shelf. Right, right. Because uh, the the uh, the not only the amount of people that um, saw the piece, right, but then also just like the the traffic that comes back to that, and then just word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah, right. and I mean, it, it, I mean, the national audience was was a big part of it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, like you can't, you can never discount the fact that if someone, not important, but someone with an audience says, like, oh, by the way, I like what you're doing, it has an impact on on the results of your sales. You know? Oh, absolutely. Like the big one for me was when one of the watches was featured in the Wall Street Journal, and that was just crazy. And right. It was like a weekend edition. And I think that weekend I sold out of all the watches in that particular like style section of my website. They're just gone. Amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Wow. You know, I I love seeing that happen. You know, it definitely yeah. helps. But yeah, I, I find that it's it's two things. It's like you were saying, the national audience. So when you when you when you go beyond your local group, right? Like the, right. that zone that you've already hammered with your marketing and advertising, um, either to a larger scale. Or just to a different pocket, right? Yep. So, for instance, uh, uh, like um, Wall Street Journal would be like its own niche, financial, but also people, somewhat, yep. you know, like national slash international. Oh yeah, yeah. So, I got orders from all over the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, yeah. And I, this is the thing that I always find so interesting about this day and age, where um, those global niches, like they're not so niche, right? Yeah, not and as much anymore. No, and and it seems like, especially with with um, 
like on, online e-commerce, online e-commerce, but other kind of e-commerce is there, but e-commerce, right? It's, I find so many things now that I, that I put in my shopping list or my wish list that just, I would never have discovered these things before if it wasn't for this, like the, the internet and the global community. For In my case, it's, it's prints, it's artwork, it's illustration. I follow so many <laughs> illustrators now and I just would never have known about them if it wasn't for them. Um, had you been on Etsy at all? At the beginning. At the beginning. Yeah, the when I was making jewelry, both. Jewelry, okay. Yeah, okay, I had both. two Etsy shops, one okay. for jewelry and one for watches. Because had then, you talked about Etsy, um, selling stuff on Etsy, Etsy as an illustrator? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, I think, I'm trying to remember how we last, I think the last time we talked about Etsy, and it may not have been in an episode, but it was more about the, uh, kind of what you were talking about with plagiarism, where... Um, like in, in like you said in the art world in illustration that's not that's frowned upon hardcore so um, I think it's interesting because I think in the fashion world it's the same where that isn't a problem yeah so when you have fashion designers lifting artwork from illustrators on and selling that yeah, stuff yeah. on Etsy yep. the illustrators get all pissed off and the fashion designers like I don't get it why are they mad because we do this all the time in our little insular community yeah and it's not a big deal. Well, and they might source they might source a graffiti artist from like down oh, yeah. the street wherever they're from. Yeah. And and no one ever knows about it until that graffiti artist actually starts making their own prints right. and throws it onto Etsy and it has a global audience. Right. Right. And that I remember what it was. It was it was Fight Club. Ike Faye Up Clay. The print I had. I got a cease and desist oh, right. from the lawyers. Right. It was right, Kim right. Alpert's episode. I was like, what were we talking about Etsy? It's like, oh yeah, because Etsy. Uh, Sony came down on me and sent me yeah. a cease and desist. It's totally fine. Yeah. It's not my first lawsuit. It's totally all right. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that that was <laughs> one of the one of the funny conversations we'd had. Not funny. It was a conversation uh, Scott and I had had where he talked about being um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like confronted with the handmade versus made in Canada versus. Crafting definitions. Careful about how you say things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, what was it specifically that you had that 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 you were? Uh, it was like you can't say this. Okay. So, a while back at the one of a kind show, I got some advice from another vendor. Basically, said that I should be plastering made in Canada all over everything because I meet the requirements for it. Right, And so I looked into it, and it seemed like I meet all the requirements. Except, at the very bottom, which probably I didn't read by accident, and I should have, is that it says, it has a paragraph about perception. So, you know, the perception of if you call something made in Canada or made in wherever, that it appears like everything about that, that item is made here. So I think on the government website it says something about lawnmowers. And so, you know, if you see a lawnmower that says made in Canada, oh, you think, okay, the entirety everything of it, the engine, the housing, the wheels, but the, the thing, pl- plug everything. might come from wherever the cord yeah. might come from. So I started, I put it on my website, oh, handcrafted in Toronto, da, 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 this and that. And I didn't realize that it was a problem. Right. Right. So then someone mentioned it to me that, oh, it's, you shouldn't be doing that because you don't meet the requirements for this and 
So then I reread it, and this person explained it to me, and I was like, oh, yeah. But, so <laughs> so you, you do build the watches in Toronto. Yeah, so what I do is I design some of the parts. I have some of the parts made overseas for me. I make the dial or the face of every single watch. And design the dial. I design right? it myself as yeah. well, yeah. And then I take all those parts, and I, oh, I buy the movement, so I'm not designing or making the actual mechanical part of the watch. Right. Yeah. Then I get all the parts and I put them all together myself. And I do all the assembly and testing, oiling, cleaning, all the stuff that is required to put a watch together. Mechanical watch. Mm. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really interesting. It's very interesting because I'm starting to think of think about, like, I mean, think about like, I mean, my wife's a quilter. Like, she, her fabric might not come, come from, from Canada, yeah. but still, like, it's handmade in Canada. Yeah. Or it's now, Canadian made. I do or, have to say that every industry is a little bit different. Right. Um, the watch industry is hyperly acute you know they really are super sensitive about that Uh, there's been a lot going on in the watch industry about uh, something called in-house movements so companies saying that they make the movement or the mechanical part of the watch right in-house so they're doing all the making but then which is like like actual i'm taking the gears and i'm putting the gears in and yeah that's fucking serious watchmaking right right you're making your own movement right um but a lot some of the companies weren't making all the parts and they were still calling it in-house right you know they were working with another company i mean is there not what threshold is there because like could there not be like i know for instance you need to have 26 different gears and a spring and a bunch of screws like no one thinks you're fucking making screws yeah right i was just starting to think like when you mentioned that it's it's the industry right is there maybe something to the fact that Swiss-made watches was a big deal, right? That, you know, like this was, like a Swiss-made watch, everything is made. Well, that's a whole other... That's, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other... That's a whole other... It's, whole, it's, no. a, it's almost the same as here, too. Like, uh, in Switzerland, from what I've read, I don't don't take my word in, right, right. like, the law or anything, but... Uh, uh, I think right now it's at like 61% of the, the movement has to, or the watch has to be made in Switzerland and the final assembly has to, to be, be called done, a Swiss right. to be say Swiss okay. made yeah now I don't know if they have the kind of perception sort of clause in their right, legislature right. or whatever for that but I have no Amazing. idea but yeah, I think it's yeah. pretty crazy to, to, to say if, if there's parts that are not made in Canada you can't say made <laughs> like, like I'm like, sorry, what are you but doing tearing apart a $400 watch and well, like opening it up and going well this is obviously Chinese I'm well not only that but I mean like just taking it back to something that I can relate to with illustration sure right I don't buy pencils and and paints that are made in Canada yeah. so crap is my artwork not Canadian but that's a whole different industry right I, I think so, so yeah right well that's what I'm saying alright so here's my question what are the repercussions to saying Canadian made or handmade in Canada or whatever are there any oh yeah Oh, you can get huge, huge fines. Oh, and, fines. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. There was massive, like when I was reading. Jail time. The, yeah, there was. Shut what? up. What? Yeah. yeah. I was kidding. No. I killed a man. Well, what happened? Why where, where are you in here? I made a watch and said it was made in Canada. I'll shank you. They call him the watchmaker. You don't call want to mess they with call the watchmaker. Captain TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Little hand, big hand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it certainly was an eye-opener, you know. Wow. Well, I imagine, yes. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, part of, like, 
the making movement is is acceptance of whichever world you're in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like when you're illustrating or when you're selling at tape artist alley or whatever, you have to accept that someone's going to say, you know what, you can't, you can't put that. Oh yeah, there. yeah. You know. Well, I'm thinking of another artist as well, just because my mind keep, I can't stop thinking about this now. Uh, Chris Cooksey, do you know? Have you guys heard the name? I don't think I do, but he he makes art using toys and action figures, but in like this crazy assembly and paint. Usually it's, it's almost like all matte black, or I think he's, he's sort of expanded from that, but it's literally just these symmetrical sculptures of placed and assembled toys and action figures. And I remember looking at him like, it's cool, I love it, and the fact that he put it all together is amazing, but he didn't make those action figures. Yeah, so I, that's the guy. Okay. We'll put a picture uh, yeah, in yeah. the yeah, description. We'll, we'll, we'll put in the show notes. Um, um, link. But he's not responsible for the action figures or any no, of the toys he uses. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know, in the art world, it's a little different. Like, that's obviously art, you know, right. and not. Yeah, there's just no like question. This is like some creatively sort of a, done. A, a product, right? right? It's unfortunately my my product falls in kind of half in an art realm and half not so it's kind of this weird thing uh, I think it's I'm not sure I I think one of the interesting things that when when we had our collaboration so I designed six watches I did two that were like ridiculously expensive and silver and so was that early in your process like we wouldn't be doing that now you know what I mean? Like that—that's not where we would have ended up. But probably not. I was not. designing the case. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like we, I, I had a say on the the band. I had a say I on the, made the hands. Pretty much everything for we that made watch, dial, except for the movement. Silver. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot. It was insane. Yeah, it was. I, it was bananas. I hardly ever make watches where I'm making that much of it but anymore. But that was where. But that's. That, I thought that's how that works. Like I didn't know mm. any better. Mm. And yep. meanwhile, like no one bought the watches because they were crazy expensive and they're silver. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were really nice watches, though. Yeah, Let's be honest. Yeah. They were super sweet. I, I mean, was happy you, with you, the way they deserve, turned out. You, you, you owe me a great thanks because of how <laughs> I springboarded your <laughs> career. <laughs> it was a challenging project. One, Let's just say that. <laughs> working with me is what he meant. Working oh, with me was a challenging project. We've been doing this oh. podcast for a year. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I'll tell you, one of the interesting things is that when you talk to designers and you say, I designed a watch... Their reaction is always like, "I would design the shit out of a watch, right?" Like, yes. Like their yeah. their, their instant reaction because designers are very ego driven. I mean, they, they want to be the best at something, so the, their reaction is always, I mean, every fucking time, I want I could I could do a great job at designing a watch, and it's not like it's discounting my designs. It's just they would they really want to do it, and every time I would say that to Scott, he'd go. Well, they weren't invited to design a watch. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Always cracked me up because I was like, you're goddamn right. You're goddamn right you weren't invited to design a watch. So, yeah, that was it was a great it was great fun. It was great. fun. I had to rein you in lots, though, because it was a lot of technical stuff. Super technical. I started. So this watch, for instance, is all circle packing. 
and it was there was algorithms involved in a lot of the watches I designs I designed and and uh, Scott needed to explain how uh, lasers worked he needed to explain how you know he had to send things to other vendors to to build things right. <laughs> he's a very patient man he's a, he's a lovely man very patient very patient well when we made the first one I had to like as soon as you said an idea I had to like in 10 seconds figure out okay what are all the steps to making this and how what are the processes what am I gonna problems I'm gonna have all this shit is that the poker then, watch the rounders watch the poker oh, one yeah. yeah that was a really a tough one but it, was a super, it was a super cool watch I mean so like yeah. super cool watch that's all I that's all I gotta say about that <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of elements to that, and a lot of technical challenges. That's for sure. But yeah. Anyways, out. it was it was it was it was a lot of fun. Have you in the past? What would you say has been going on with with watches in the past couple of years? Like, have you seen a resurgence in in wearables? Right. Like in a way. Like you're you're part yeah. of the old school of wearables. You oh know? yeah. Yeah, and mechanical watches. So that's all I make right now. Uh, I will be probably making some battery watches again in the right. near future. But that's really only because it seems like people don't want to pay for the watch. You know that whatever price point of the mechanical watches, right, right. which mm-hmm. is going to be too high for some people. So. And I have to keep putting my prices up because parts and things increase and, yeah. you know, all this. There's a ton of shit that goes into pricing for each one. Right. You know, it's just, you don't really see it when you see a watch. There's so much extra stuff. Um, but there has been a resurgence over a lo- long period of time for mechanical watches. But it's become really, like, like niche where we were talking about before. Yeah. You know, certain types of watches are, like, loved by certain people and... Right. So the, a lot of Swiss manufacturers now, wow, yeah. they're going totally insane. But like these multi-million dollar pieces, all wow. crazy and just like really highly engineered. They're amazing. But there's very, very, very few people that can afford to buy a watch like one that. Of the, one of the funny things about uh, seeing like these really elaborate watches on Instagram or whatever is all I can think is everything that is behind the dial is a failure point. So I see super complicated things happening on the dial, like things spinning around. Yes, yeah. Like that's a failure point. Like something's gonna break, and yep. the person you ordered it from for 150 bucks is gonna say, "Too bad." <laughs> right? Like it depends. Yeah, it I mean, depends on the price you're paying for the watch. Yeah. Right. So if you are paying 150 dollars for something that has this intricately moving apparatus, then it's probably gonna fuck up and be done yeah right but normally a watch with something that elaborate like a gyro tourbillon okay which is a crazy insane thing Fancy wow. French yeah. Word. You know, is hundreds really? of thousands of dollars right you now and the reason is because it's been engineered so it won't break ever yeah yeah but then you have to make sure you take it back to the company who made it to be serviced right you know it's another thing a lot of people don't talk about you know, when you buy a watch, because it's off-putting, is having to service your watch, you yeah. know, every few years. Right. And then the cost associated with that. You know, like for Rolex, I think it's an average like 800 to to $1,000 just to get it serviced. Wow. Every year? No, every five, six years. Well. Their service interval is changing, but... <laughs> like that's reasonable. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta put a fund aside. <laughs> go fund me my go yeah. fund my Rolex. Go fund Not me. To buy yeah. it. Just to service it. Just yep. to service it. This year. Yep. <laughs> Future needs. <laughs> what about Stay with me on this one, but what about making a mechanical calculator watch? There's no way to stay with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> gears required yeah. to turn the zero to one. <laughs> I think if you took like an old cash register yes. and I like, put it on your wrist, there you Strapped go. It to your wrist. <laughs> I can't go out. <laughs> put my it. watch on. I'm stuck. And then we'll just like glue a battery watch on top. And there you go. <laughs> Not, you're done. I'm okay now. Okay. Okay for now. Um, we could we could do an abacus. Just a watch with an abacus on it. Yeah. Yes. You could do that. But again, the, the gearing required to like do all that hasn't been made yet. Oh. <gasps> you could start a whole this movement. Is what I'm about. Oh. See, I'm not really a, a watch engineer. No. Unfortunately. Is that a different thing? Oh yeah. So you know, designing and making if the actual any watch engineers part. out there, and you think the idea of a we mechanical. We want to watch us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I can whip up something, but. Um, no, I find it really interesting because, um, like we've talked about, the sort of the handmade or the, the the one of a kind, the uniqueness of it, and I find that in a lot of like industries that involve product. Uh, people are moving away from the overly manufactured everyone has the same thing mm. and and back into the you know a unique piece I mean I one of my wish list items that I've had for probably a, a decade now I've never bought it uh, was this this amazing uh, iron keychain that's a, a, a bottle opener it's just a very simple very sleek design and and it's it's always there it's the thing that how I much just, is it? It's like a little, little bit over a hundred and something. Okay, I, I, you know, it's not like a twenty dollar thing. Twenty dollar yeah. thing, you yeah. know, like if you're waiting on it. Could you send me the link? <laughs> hundred and something. Yeah, I can see how that might. <laughs> yeah. Don't send me that link. No. <laughs> I'm Quick not that turn. generous. Quick turn. No, it, it's it's not. It's just a thing. One of those things where this, for me, um, uh, it's it's more about necessity, right? But I think for a lot of people. Um, we all have the same phone in our pocket, and all the phone manufacturers make different phones that are ultimately the, the same, same phone. Face, 100%. Right? Yeah. So, if you want to stand out and you want to have something that's that's practical, because I think that's the other side of it is is uh, you've moved from jewelry to watches, and I think one of the, the the defining features of a watch over jewelry is that it's not an object of excess. And it, it, it is something that, that serves a purpose. And to me, and I think one of the reasons that designers love to design watches is because there's a, a, uh, a, a usability component to a watch that needs to be designed for. You can't, you can't just make a watch look like anything because it still has to tell time, right? And then it still has, how does this work on my wrist? Are the numbers so small that I really have to bring that watch close up to my face to see, etc. Yeah. So the combination of an object that has that serves a function and is handcrafted uh, and unique 
I think is is like a it, sure it's super cool. Yeah. yeah, I enjoy both aspects of it. That's for sure. Um, you know, the designing and making of the thing, and then also the mechanical side, the technical kind of stuff. So it's a great blending of you know things that I really enjoy. And it really helped me, you know, grow. And because with the jewelry, I was just spinning my wheels, and I got to a point where I couldn't fucking sand and polish another piece of fucking <laughs> shit again. It's so, really, oh, it was just. I mean, with all with all all due respect to Scott, like he he made my wedding ring and my wife's wedding <laughs> ring, oh, and yeah. it was it was one of those situations where I'd said like, hey, listen. You know, I want. I want. Could you do my wedding rings? And he said, "No, yeah, I can." But he wasn't doing jewelry anymore, right? And one of the, the funniest parts was is we got to take advantage of like, the global recession and like platinum. My rings platinum. It was like the same cost, the same price as white gold. So like my yeah. crazy ass giant wedding ring was the price of a white gold wedding ring, which is hilarious. Yeah, it was a weird time for that. But for like, sure. when he then admitted how hard it is to work with platinum, and to see him react like that, like, oh, if I had to polish one oh, more, I'm like, yeah. like, like, there's some <laughs> scratches on my ring. He's talking about my ring. Like, I'm like, there's some scratches on my ring, and I'm kind of like, do you think you could, if I yeah. gave you this, could you polish it up? I just know he won't anymore. Yeah. Like, not <laughs> that he ever has. <laughs> oh, I could, I could do it. You know, yeah, I don't. Right? I hardly ever don't polish things. Anything. But I it, like it. It's, it's funny it's because fine. I'm starting to get back into that kind of stuff again right but with the watches so starting right. to do decoration on the movement of the watch and it takes all those things like polishing a screw head for hours for sure you know to make it a perfect like black it's called black polishing so when light hits it a certain way it will reflect perfectly black oh crazy. and then in another way it'll like vanta black yeah. screw it's totally crazy what's his face is He's the only one to get to work with it. Fanta Black is a... Oh, Phantom Black. Fanta Black. Fanta. Yeah. 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 Um, so, what's the next stage for uh, for Wilk Watchworks? Is there a next um, stage? Yeah. You're working on the next yeah, thing? Yeah, I'm trying to get over the, a hump right now. Okay. And trying to branch out yeah. some things. So, right now I'm just doing redoing our website. Uh, which is a slog because I really dislike doing that kind of work. But <laughs> once it's done, then it'll be just you know minor updates and things. But uh, yeah, trying to branch out a little bit with higher end watches and then also lower end, trying to hit a couple different things. I don't have watches in stores either, so I'm trying to design something where I can. There's enough of a margin, and I price things properly so I can put it into a store. Right. You know, what, what's the so. price point for a, a merchandised watch? Is that that wouldn't be the word, would it? Like, uh, like a watch in a store. A watch in a store. Was there a word for that? I don't Storable. know. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> is there a price point like that that makes it comfortable for sellers to be like, yeah, this is um, this is good. It depends on the store. Because average price for for the watches that I've seen are for for your watches are about four hundred and whatever. Right? That's changed a lot. Has it really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Just because the amount of work I put in, I set my prices too low at the beginning. Oh okay. You know, I made pricing errors See, at the beginning. See, that's my fault. That's my fault. No no, it was. I was a noob yeah. <laughs> when it came to this stuff. Yeah, you learned. And I've always taken a taking yeah. a fucking bath on, yeah. on your watches. <laughs> Thank God I got mine out of I, I remember <laughs> showing in a gallery and, and um, 
it wasn't it wasn't the gallerist, but it was one of his like artists who was working the the, the show. And at one point, he came over to me. and He goes like, "I didn't realize you were selling originals. I thought those were prints." And I said, "No, no, those are all those are all originals." He says, y- "You got to triple your price, dude." Yeah. He's like, "You are selling stuff cheaper than some people sell prints." And oh it's my like God. You are. There's no no wonder you're selling. <laughs> yeah, like pricing is really difficult. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most hard. difficult things. There's so many factors, mm-hmm. and now that I have an employee, well, I have had an employee for a while now. You know, all of those costs have to be factored into the watch. And then when you talk about selling in stores, well, then you have to have your price and then what the retail price and the markup and everything. Yeah. So different stores will only buy product that they can double the price of because they have so many costs associated. So it's it's very frustrating. That's tough. You know, it's really hard because you don't want to price your work out of the market either. Yeah. You know, yeah, so you don't want to walk into a store and they just laugh you out, right? Yeah, so. yeah, it's it's not easy. So amazing, yeah. amazing. You know, wow. it's I still struggle with it. You know, it's been you know how many years I've been pricing my work more. <laughs> you know, for the jewelry too. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've always had to try to do but that. that but that's got to be the hardest part. Is is going like where where you're like, well, listen, I sold a whole bunch of watches at this price. Yeah. Oh, that's not enough. Oh, yeah. okay, it's, I guess it, I'll raise yeah. the price. Like, it hurts. Because you're does. like, how's that going to affect the people that bought it at this price point? And all of a sudden, yep. the people that, that they know go like, well, shit, his, those watches that they bought aren't that price anymore. Yeah. Right? Like, that has an effect. It does. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so yeah people, they look at my work over a number of years, I find. Yeah. Because a lot of people are buying for special occasions. They're looking for their son who's graduating in like three right. years. And, you know, oh, my price three years ago was this, but now it's like $150 more. Right. And they're like, well, you know, this and that. But yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. And you don't realize people have been watching, you know? Like, yeah. like you say, I'm just going to raise my price. And, and, and you do it sort of off the cuff knowing why i mean there's it's not off the cuff in, 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 no, in, yeah. in that it's, sense but yeah but from the from the public's why, perspective right? yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Then, and then someone emails you and goes oh, i wanted to buy that watch and now it's 150 more and oh my god and you're like well, i don't know what to tell you you should have bought it when you had the chance right yeah. like it's there's a delicate balance between like good salesmanship and protecting yourself yep like that's and that's what it all comes down know, to my uh, employee his name is anthony um, he's more of a colleague I consider him as rather than an employee now yeah um, but we have routine discussions about pricing right you know we're always reassessing making sure that we're trying to keep the prices low as possible but still cover everything and then still have money so I can do new things and try stuff out and yeah you know because that's the name of it right the name of the game is like invention so yeah. you're, you're constantly trying to reinvent what you do. Yeah. So you have to like buy the things that cost you money to like try to make something new. Yeah. And tools for watchmaking are fucking expensive. Like, oh, they're ridiculous. You know, if you want good quality stuff and you want it to last a while. Yeah. You know, well, so. I mean, like we were talking about you replace your Cintiq or you bought a Cintiq yep. and you're like, oh my God, like <laughs> I'm going to wait to buy this. Yeah. But you know what, you know the efficiency it'll afford you, you know? And it's a hard, it's a hard decision. It's hard to swallow that that cost. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be honest. Like to this point, like I'm using that that Cintiq. It's like a drawing tablet all the time. But 
it, not on that many jobs. Right. right. So it's not really paying for itself, unfortunately. Now, the good news is is that it's a it's a, a piece of tech that will last for like a decade. Like I don't think I'll ever buy another one. Yeah. So eventually it'll pay for itself. It's just it's not something that is immediately you know worthwhile <laughs> sure. yeah yeah well that's the same with watchmaking tools too like if you buy a good one it will literally last you forever and probably if my son decides to take up watchmaking it'll last him his whole life too if he takes care of it properly but not your younger son because he doesn't care oh no he doesn't work <laughs> just like screw that just the one <laughs> i just love the idea of like a wooden family heirloom box of watchmakers tools yeah yeah. One day, oh, son, yeah, this yeah. will all be yours. What, the curtains? <laughs> <laughs> no, not the curtains. Light the box beside the curtains. Yeah. Grab those ashes. No, not the box with the... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How very Monty Python of you. Well, I can't help it. I'm a giant nerd. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. Do you feel... <laughs> We're hitting that point, obviously. We are. Um... Is there anything you'd like to sort of volunteer? Is there anything you'd, you'd like to share with people that are listening as for as, about your work? Uh, Come check me out at <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, please buy my stuff. <laughs> buy my stuff, buy my buy stuff. My buy my stuff. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was promise. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, she was. She did. She, yeah. Yeah, that was the yeah, thing. Was she goes, Jillian. buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, well, yeah, I need to be able to support my family. Yeah. You know, and uh, I need to make money to be able to buy food and all that stuff. That's fair, that's fair. All those things. But at the same time, I do consider myself extremely fortunate to be able to do what I want to do. Yeah. You know, it's it's fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. I've always been very impressed by Scott, and it, like I don't tell him that because I don't want to let him get a big head. Yeah, here goes my head. <laughs> but I've always been very impressed. Oh, I've been always been very impressed with Scott and his dedication to the craft. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like I think it's I think it's fine if you turn around and say I'm going to design T-shirts. You're like, okay, Skippy, and then like a month later they're not doing that. Right. You know. A decade of effort. Yeah, it, it needs to be, you know, applauded a little bit. I try. I, I, I am. Try. Uh, I'm super impressed with you. I think. Thanks. I think what you've been doing is like well worth, um, well worth the attention. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm just beginning. So. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, if you feel like you're just beginning, that that's a good thing because yeah. it means you're just going to get better at your job. I'm trying every day. Because you could get better at your job. I don't want to. Oh you yeah. Know. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking about I'm thinking about new marketing uh, or sales techniques, and I, and I keep coming back to that that old cartoon image. Maybe I'm the only one who remembers this of the guy in the trench coat. <laughs> yes. Want to buy a watch? Buy a watch. But then in the movie Robots, yeah. when they do yeah, it, they go. Trench coats. They, they, they open, so he goes, "Want to buy a watch?" And they opens it up, and they go, "We're fake." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, pocket watches. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh no. I always get someone asking almost every show. Really? But it's usually just one person. And Nobody wants pocket watches. They always have a cummerbund no. and a, <laughs> a monocle no, and a walking stick. No, it's not. It generally is like... <laughs> I beg your pardon, Sam. 
it's generally I have an 18 come year from old the past. kid. Really? Yeah. 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 And when I was that age, the... I didn't want to wear a watch either. I, I had a pocket watch. I had I a pocket ha- watch. I did have one. I did. I actually did. Yeah. Yeah. I had my grandfather's pocket watch for a really long time. Yeah. See, that's that's the thing. Like, I I would I would gladly wear an heirloom pocket watch, but. Because it's yeah. there's some, some sentimental value Every to it. Every time I took that watch out, I was like, oh yeah. my god, you have a pocket watch? It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going, yeah. And, and and you know what? You're right, it is. It's fucking weird. Yeah. And I'm sorry I have this chain. and This watch. <clears throat> this this watch. <laughs> I hit this uncomfortable okay. piece of metal in my ass. <laughs> so there we are. I am oh, Hugh yeah. Elliott. And I am Stephen Grandbart. And I'm Scott Wilk. And this has been another episode of Can't Sell This. TikTok, y'all. TikTok. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content contained in this episode is copyright Stefan Grambart and Hugh Elliott. Intro voice by Jeff Wright. Intro music track is Energy by Not Of from their 2015 album Peak. Questions or comments can be sent to admin at cantsellthispodcast.com. Any other information can be found at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Mm-hmm.